0: Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is John Morgan with Traders Point Church of Christ. I want to thank everyone for taking a few minutes out of your day to open up the Bible and to study along with us. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10 this morning continuing on in our study through the book of Romans and as Jeremy mentioned last week I believe uh, we're kind of getting close to the end and so we're gonna start kind of hearing some of of Paul's closing remarks and, and some ways over the next few weeks as we finish up the book of Romans So Romans chapter 10 this morning Jeremy why don't you kick us off Paul obviously has been dealing with a lot of, of, of situations and issues uh, between the Jews and the Gentiles and that's going to continue a little bit here in chapter 10 as he specifically addresses Israel here at the beginning of chapter 10. So and when you look at this, where, where is Paul taking the minds of the readers here as he begins this chapter?
1: Well, good morning. You know, we,
0: you've made mention, we've
1: been now in the book of Romans for several weeks, and this is kind of a new approach for us on the show of, of taking, you know, a book and working our way mm-hmm. through it, and we're in week number 10, and, yeah. you know, I'll just kind of throw a, a quick plug out there. I mean, if you're picking up here in Romans 10 and listening, it, it's available that you can grab mm-hmm. hold of, of our, um, of our uh, discussions and studies from all the way from Romans chapter 1 up until now. And so where, where we are here in Romans 10, certainly, again, we've made mention each and every week, I mean, the book of Romans flows very nicely from one chapter to the next. That's what makes it just a great study. It really makes it for a great book to read at one sitting. Mm-hmm. If you wouldn't take you real long. I mean, not as long as you, you would certainly think of, I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible. That's going to take forever. No, it's not going to, it's not going to take you that long, but it reads very smoothly. And so the transition from chapter 9 to chapter 10, as you may mentioned really still is focusing around the people of Israel, uh, the Jews. Paul has had things to say specifically to them. He's had things to say specifically to the Gentiles. One of the major themes of the book of Romans is trying to get both of those groups to understand everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's got the same problem, and the solution is the same for everybody. And so one of the major themes of the book itself is that. But he he does take a little aside here to make mention of some things specifically to the people of Israel. I think we're still hanging on a little bit from chapter 9 and the way that he opened that chapter Mm -hmm. and almost maybe cutting off of the past a little bit if the Jewish folks are maybe feeling sorry for themselves or they're a little saddened by some of the things that he said already to almost kind of lift them up a little bit. And that certainly is the feel that the beginning of this chapter kind of takes on.
0: Yeah, and right off the bat, I mean, he says, right here, I, I think what everybody would hopefully have assumed, but I think Paul wants to make it very clear, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And really, when you think about it, that is the purpose of this entire book, right? Is is for for everyone to be saved. That That's why Paul is writing this. That's why he's going into such detail on some of these things. That's why he talks about baptism. That's why he talks about faith. That's why he talks about, in this chapter, confession. He, he talks about these things because he truly wants everyone to be saved. That, if you had to just summarize what Paul's desire and goal was, I think that's it. He wants people to be saved. But what he sees in Israel is important because I think it's something that is very prevalent today. He follows that up by saying, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. So that sounds good. Right but not according to knowledge. Now, if I was a Jew and I tried to put myself in in their shoes, I I think I'd be like, hold on just a second. I mean, remember who you're talking to here. I mean, we're the people who the law was given to. We're the people who have had that special relationship with God. And now you're, you're commending us for our zeal, but you're calling us out on our knowledge. And I think there's something there that is important. I think it's, it's important for us to talk about uh, today because I think there are a lot of people who have a zeal but not according to knowledge. And, and there is a, a really important point that Paul is trying to make here about the relationship that we are to have with God and what's expected of us. And the zeal part of that is important, but so is the knowledge part of that. And that's going to require time. That's going to require study and effort to build that relationship and come to that knowledge that he's encouraging us to. But that's got to be a part of the life of a Christian, to have the zeal and to have the knowledge.
1: I know certainly we're going to talk about it as we get a little deeper into this chapter, but you're right. I mean, right at the very outset, you have this idea that, listen, what... what, his heart's desire, what God is looking for is that, listen, all of Israel can be saved. And, and that really becomes a pretty key component to this whole chapter. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have saved underlined in my Bible, and the reason for that is, is it's a word that repeats itself over and over verse 9 again we'll get to verse 9 but again you see the word saved again in verse 9 verse 10 you have the word salvation verse 13 the word saved again i mean i have all of those underlined in my bible because it's one of those repeated words and it's in a pretty small space so now it's easy to say well this is a pretty important a pretty important thing and and it is And salvation is there. Salvation is available. We've talked a lot about that already in the book of Romans. But the key component to what you just made mention of, it's not just having a zeal for God, but it it, it is according to knowledge that salvation is there. The desire for man to be saved is there, but it still has to happen God's way. It still has to happen the way that God has laid it out. It, It isn't enough to proclaim, I love God, but then have nothing to do with what his law is. It's not enough just to say, I I love God, or even I want to be saved by Him, but not go about it in the way that He has lined out. And the book of Romans has tackled a lot of that already, Mm -hmm. certainly early on in the book. And I think kind of this is a reiteration of that, that it's not enough just to say, I have a great relationship with God and, and scream that as loud as you can. It has to have some substance. It has to have a base, and that base is in what God says. Mm -hmm. And that has to be a focus in in really all that
0: we do. I think sometimes we can get so intimidated maybe that may that's not the right word but but a little bit overwhelmed and we pick up the bible and it's you know the largest book most people would ever read you know it's it's certainly intimidating for me i'm not a fast reader i don't have some you know high level of, of understanding that it goes above and beyond what other people have and and this big book can get really intimidating and when you start to talk to people about the need for knowledge in god's word i think sometimes i've seen it in people's eyes where they look at this and think I don't know if I can do that. Like You're expecting me to, to have this thing memorized forwards and backwards. What, what do you really mean when you say knowledge? And I think what Paul's talking about here is a little bit what he ended chapter 9 with when he was talking about the Israelites, how they were pursuing righteousness, but they were leaving out the faith that was necessary to truly attain it. And I think knowledge is very much the same way. Sometimes we just pursue knowledge for knowledge's sake. That's not what God wants. He wants us to pursue knowledge in faith. He wants us to pursue knowledge because we want to develop a relationship with Him. You can get a PhD in the Bible and still be lost. It's not all about just knowing it, but it's about knowing it because you want that relationship with God and you understand that it's through His Word that He speaks to us. And our lives are changed through that. And So yes, I want to become intimately familiar with what God has to say to me. And when we approach it that way, listen, it's still going to take a lifetime of study. There's no way around that. But when we approach it that way, it becomes a lot less intimidating because we're approaching it from the perspective of, This is where my relationship with God is formed and built upon. And so, yes, I'm going to devote myself to a lifetime of learning. That, that, I think, helps ease some of the tension that can exist to people when they first approach the Bible. Yeah, I think because,
1: listen, sometimes when we're, we pick up a big book and, and maybe it's got maybe a textbook kind of feel to it, we think, well, I've got to, you know, ingest all of these words mm-hmm. because there's going to be a test at the end. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the idea of studying God's Word. It's not about, you know, ingesting everything that we say because, you know, somebody's going to lay a big test down in front of us, and we've got to be able to, you know, we've got to be able to fill in all these blanks. That's not the idea at all. I mean, the idea is having certainly a love that you've talked about, but a respect for what God says. That God, He he is the one who directs my life. He is the one who directs my steps. He does so through His Word. And I have that level of respect and reverence for him, and now I'm gonna have that level of respect and reverence for his word. I I flipped over to Psalm one. I mean the book of Psalms is a great example of you know people's attitude towards God. I mean you see that, you know, conveyed over and over through the book of Psalms. But I mean the the book of Psalms starts there in Psalm one. I mean the very beginning and the very first two verses is, you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And that is that contrast of, I'm not interested in my own direction, or I'm not interested in man's direction, I am solely interested in God's direction. And I'm so interested in that, I'm going to make it an integral part of my whole life. I'm meditating in it day and night. I'm making it a part of, of what I'm all about. Not just, listen, the zeal for God has to be there. I mean, you know, Paul is not saying, hey, take the zeal that you have for God and toss that out the window. Mm-hmm. That, that's not, but he's saying it's not just that. It's not just that; it's it's this other thing as well. And really, in a lot of ways, the entirety of chapter ten will really will focus in
0: on you know that respect and our relationship with God's word. Really, yeah. in a lot of ways. Well, and he's even going to go on to say he talks about knowledge. He's going to talk about what we say uh, down in verse uh, sixteen and seventeen, verses that are very familiar. He's going to talk about what we hear. It's this idea that that the words of God are supposed to be all encompassing. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to say, we're supposed to hear, we're supposed to learn, and it's all centered around God and his righteousness. That that's you mentioned saved being something that is seen throughout this chapter. So is righteousness, and they go hand in hand. And I think that when we look at that, we see this idea of in order to be righteous, in order to be saved, We have to have this relationship with God that is all-encompassing. It it truly becomes a part of who we are. It's not just something that I know. It's not just something that I say. It's not just something that I hear. But it's all of those things. And it has to really become a part of me. And that's where that relationship with God is going to develop. That's where I find the true righteousness that Paul has been talking about. And that's where my salvation comes from. It's it's from God. But it's up to me to, to develop that relationship. Relationship with him and the, the ways and using the tools that he's given to us to do so I think that's what's so special and so unique about the Bible because it's not just a book it, it, it's really our opportunity to come to know God and to develop that relationship with him using all of these different tools that he's given to us
1: yeah and I think that's why you know in here in Romans chapter 10 especially in verse 3 it really becomes an important concept. Because he, he kind of lays something, it, it comes out, you know, maybe kind of harsh. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's meant to. And, and there's certainly application for the the Jewish folks here that, uh, that are reading this letter. But, I mean, I, I think there's incredible application for us because this same temptation is there. When he says, listen, you're, you're being ignorant of God's righteousness, and that doesn't sound very good. But, but he says you're doing that because you're seeking to establish your own righteousness. Mm-hmm. And when you seek to establish your own righteousness, at the end of the, that verse, you've not submitted yourself to the righteousness of God. You, you can't have a mixture of those things. And I think, you know, the Jewish brethren at this time were trying to mix In every way, their own Jewish laws and practices with what Christ was bringing, and they were trying to mix all those things up. Mm -hmm. But it it just isn't gonna work. And and listen, we do that all the time. Certainly, the entirety of the religious world, you know, does that. I'm gonna mix in a little bit of what I like with a little bit of what God likes, and I'm gonna shake that up, and it's gonna be, you know, something great. Well, it, it doesn't work that way. If I'm gonna mix in any of what I want, I'm not submitting myself to the righteousness of God. And so we've got, to, we've got to understand what he says rules everything, every single aspect. And for the Jewish Christians here, what he's saying about salvation— what he's saying about the Gentiles, what he's saying about sin, mm-hmm. what he's saying about all of those things—what he's saying rules—and it was a difficult thing for them to overcome. And he's now we're you know we're on the back half of the book, and he's still kind of hitting on it a little bit because it, it is a it's a tough deal and it's a heavy temptation for them, and I think for the world we live in today. Yeah, following along with what
0: you just said there in verse number four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And I think to your point. It comes that's what it comes down to. Are you willing to, are you willing to see Christ as the end of it all?? Right. Is he where the buck stops? Are you willing to recognize that and to live your life with that understanding, with that truth? And that is really the decision that everybody has to make and certainly the decision that these Jews and Gentiles were going to have to make. Do you see Christ as the end of the law to everyone who believes? And what he's going to do is in the next few verses, I think he's going to build on that that challenge that he puts before them. Because if you are, there are some things that you're going to have to deal with. One of those we're going to talk about here in a minute confessing him, believing in him. There's some things like that that are going to come into play. But until you have put Christ in his rightful place, none of these other things matter. Because that's why I think the, those few verses right there at the beginning of chapter 10 are so important because it's then going to help us better understand these following verses. Because first and foremost, Christ is the end of it all. What he says goes. Now, we're going to expound on that a little bit. And he has really already in what he's been talking about in previous chapters. But I think that's really the crux of what we have to understand before we're going to get too far into these next few verses.
1: Yeah, I mean, Christ is the key. I mean, listen, Christ is the key is a big theme of this book. but. That idea that Christ is the key is the theme of every book in the New Testament. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it, it's, it's you know, maybe we could even say it's the theme of every book in the Bible. I mean, yeah. you know, Christ is the key. Yeah. And, and we've seen that. You're right. We've seen that play out, you know, already when we spent time talking about Romans chapter 6 and, and how it is that we can be freed from the bondage of sin. Mm-hmm. Well, the key to that freedom is Christ. Mm-hmm. And Paul hammers that home in chapter 6. Yeah, that sounds great to be freed from the bondage of sin. Hmm. How does that happen? Christ is the key. I'm not interested in the wrath of God that's talked about in this book. What's the key to to missing the wrath of God? It is Christ, he is the key. And ultimately, as we get to the middle section here in chapter 10, Christ is the key. And so when we get into those passages you may mention about confession in verse nine, believing in him in verse 10, calling on his name. I mean, all of those things are still centered around Christ who you rightly have said should be in the very center of our life. Mm -hmm. And when that's the case,
0: everything else begins to take shape. That's right. And really, it shouldn't even come as a surprise. In fact, we should see it as a natural progression in our understanding that when we have come to that realization— that we freely and openly confess jesus as the son of god of course we would believe in him absolutely of course we will because i recognize what he's done for me i recognize the position that he holds and so i think you know there's a lot of emphasis i think put on on these couple of verses and and rightfully so throughout the religious world the need to confess and to obey absolutely That, that cannot be overlooked but I think we need to recognize that in the course of what Paul's talking about here. These are natural progressions to an understanding of who Christ is. Right. Who would truly come to recognize Christ as the Son of God and the author of our salvation and then refuse to confess His name? Who would, who would do that? When, when you truly understand who Christ is and what He's done for you, of course you're going to. You're, you're going to name Him as your Savior to everyone who will listen to you. That, that should be a natural part of, of the life of a Christian who has come to know Christ in the way that Paul is hoping all of us will. These types of things should emanate from us because of what Christ has done in our lives. And so I think really we, when we look at this, I think it's important to look at it in the context of what's being talked about, that it's, it's a progression of a life coming to know Christ to then share him with others and to really truly embody the, what he wants us to be. And what he wants us to be is someone who has conformed our lives to him.
1: Yeah, and, and again, everything centers around him. And even right there in verse nine, with you know confessing with our mouth that uh, uh, that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that that God has raised Him from the dead. I mean, you have these things about uh, about confession, and you have these things about belief, and you have. We'll talk more about it here in just a moment in verse thirteen about calling on His name. We can get down to verse sixteen, and obedience, you know, comes to the forefront, and, and we've see all of these things in this in this passage, but even when we're studying as we are just here in Romans chapter 10, but anytime, anytime you're studying God's Word, I mean, there's there's several things that you've got to keep in mind all the time. And we'll, we'll talk often about context. We've done that a lot in our study because we've tried to keep, you know, the context of the book of Romans itself, you know, in play. But, you know, even with God's Word itself, I mean, when we start to make a, an understanding of what's being talked about here and maybe. that speaks against or contradicts something that's said somewhere else, my immediate red flag says, well, that can't be the case because, I mean, the Bible's not going to contradict itself. And so when it's saying one thing here and it's saying one thing here, and maybe it's saying one thing over here, we've got to be able to merge all of those things together. And this is a picture given to us here about Yeah. Is confession an important part of our salvation? Absolutely. Is belief an important part of our salvation? Absolutely it is. Is faith an important part? Absolutely it is. Is God's word an important part? No doubt about it. Is obedience an important part? No question about it. I mean, all of those things we see, and and certainly this passage here is no different from Mm -hmm. any other place in the New Testament. But these things are certainly to be lifted up because of the context of where he is in Romans chapter ten.
0: Yeah, yeah I think it's it's interesting. This is something I've, I picked up on a little while ago. Obviously, he's writing this to both Jews and Gentiles, but he's, uh, he's specifically addressing this to to the Israelites. And the Israelites at this time, many of them still spoke Hebrew, but certainly their their background was in the Hebrew language. And I've always thought it was interesting. In, in Hebrew, the word for here is the same word for obey. Mm -hmm. There aren't two different words for those. If you were speaking Hebrew and you were saying that somebody heard something or that somebody obeyed, it's the same word that you're going to use in there. And there was this understanding that if you truly hear, then there is an expectation of obedience that comes with it. And I think the same is true. We, we sometimes differentiate between the two. but We have to remember that Paul is writing this to people who probably understood that correlation. And I think he, he's kind of highlighting a little bit of that here for these people. That Listen, if you've heard everything that I'm telling you about Christ, there is a natural expectation that obedience follows. Mm-hmm. And that, that, is, that is a truth within Scripture. When we, when we hear the truth about God and who He is, when we hear the truth about Christ and what He's done for us, there is a natural expectation of obedience that follows that. And so when it comes to hearing about Christ, recognizing Him as our Savior... Yes, we are going to confess him. Yes, we are going to believe in him. Yes, we are going to be baptized as Paul talked about in Romans chapter 6. He's going to, he's going to really hit on that. You mentioned it in verses 14 and following when he talks about the very fact that there's some who haven't, who have believed, but haven't obeyed. And there is this expectation, I think, and it's important, I think, that we place it upon ourselves that there is an expectation to hear and then to believe and then to obey. Yeah. That, that's the way it's supposed to work. It always has been. And so when we read this, I think sometimes there's a danger of pulling some of this out of context. And like you said, saying, well, you know, these two verses say I have to confess and then I have to call on the name of the Lord, so I'm good. When really what we're doing is we're just picking the portion that we want to look at as opposed to seeing Christ in his entirety mm-hmm. and then submitting ourselves in obedience. Really, we're not following the pattern that the Bible sets up for us when we do that. It's really important that we look at this from a holistic perspective and recognize the need for obedience to follow our understanding of Christ.
1: I think even you may mention even in verse 14, I I think and the point that's made here, and I I think it's made in lots of other places, certainly when when we use the word of believe. But I, I think for us, certainly biblically, It is belief and obedience are go hand in hand. I mean, that's you know that's the way it's used. That's the way it's used in the Bible. I mean, you see in a passage that a lot of people are familiar with, like in Mark chapter sixteen and verse sixteen. Where that is made mention, you know, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And maybe someone would ask, well, how come it doesn't say he who you know does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned? Mm-hmm. Well, because obedience—if there's no belief, there's no obedience. Right. I mean, those two things, you know, come together. And so I think that's why you have right there in verse fourteen, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed, and and how shall they believe in him who they have not heard, and and how shall they hear without a preacher? He's saying these. these things. You can't have obedience without belief, or you can't have belief without obedience. You, you can't have those things. Mm-hmm. Those things don't exist. And so he, he has all of this. You know, verse 13 is that quote from Joel 2 about, you know, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's not the first time this is found in the New Testament. I mean, yeah. Acts chapter 2, that same quote is given, you know, right there from Joel 2 about, you know, calling on the name of the Lord. And what do we see in Acts 2? Obedience to the Word of yeah. God. And th- that's what's being talked about again in the exact same way right here in Romans chapter 10.
0: And we get down further into this chapter, we're going to be running out of time here before too long, but as you may mention here in verse number 14, he follows that up. Verses 16 and 17 are two verses that are really well known. but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And again, he's highlighting this back, I think, to what he was talking about there at the end of chapter 9 with the idea of faith. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is this need to seek faith and righteousness through Him. I think that's the important part of this. And it goes hand in hand with what you were just saying about the need to obey, the need to, to really recognize what's expected of us. We are to hear the words of God. There, there's there's faith-building power within these words, and we have to devote ourselves to that. If we want that faith that's going to lead us to righteousness, if we want that faith that's going to lead us to obedience, the faith that's ultimately going to save us, we have to, to dedicate ourselves to, to the study and to the hearing of the Word of God. That, that's an important part of, well, it's not that important part. It's the basics of, of coming to a true faith that God has set for set before us. We have to hear the Word. We have to devote ourselves to it and that's where that faith that ultimately will save us comes from. And that, you know this is
1: you know for a lot of times you know certainly I'm you know both of us are you know preachers and, and you know this is passage we we always like here in verse 14 especially you know how, how they're going to hear without a preacher and you know but you know just defining that word is just listen this is the word of God proclaimed mm-hmm. I mean and the point is it's it's allowing the word of God to come to life in some way and that happens in lots of different ways. It happens by, you know, vocally by, you know, when we think of a preacher like Paul was, or like Apollos was, or the, you know, the apostles there that they are verbally proclaiming the word of God. And certainly that's the case, but we can preach to ourselves. I mean, you know, I I can open up God's word and preach to myself because it it is allowing God's word to be (laughs) proclaimed. It it is, it's different than, Hey, I'm just reading it. And just, Mm -hmm. it, it is not I'm allowing it to emanate. I'm allowing it to you know to cover because the, again you've made the point it's not just about hearing the words it's a lot, it's about those things sinking in it's about obeying even those things and that's not going to happen unless God's word is proclaimed mm-hmm. in some way and so that can happen lots of different ways yeah. Yeah. and but it has to come to life. And, I mean, we've talked about that a lot in the last, you know, half hour, that Romans chapter 10, in a lot of ways, is really pointing to the fact that God's words have to go to work in your life. Mm-hmm. You've got to get them to go to work. And, I mean, it's not just here in Romans 10, but most certainly here in Romans 10, and you made you know, made mention of verse 17, that it is intricu- intricately, that's or intricately, I got yeah, that out right, yeah. tied to our faith. Yeah. And ever I mean, we you know, it's an important it's foundation of everything that we are spiritually and
0: that is tied directly to God's word. You and I have talked several times about the importance of just reading aloud the the Bible. And we've, we've done that together. Uh, both of us have done that from the pulpit where we've spent a fair amount of time just reading scripture. And I think there's value in that because what we're doing there is you know, we're just allowing God to speak to us. And I think that's part of what he's saying here is sometimes, sometimes, especially in our, our culture today, uh, the quote unquote preacher speaks for himself a whole right. lot more than he does for God. Right. We have to be careful about that. As, as a preacher, our job is to relay the words of God to people, not our own thoughts or our own opinions. Right. And I think the more that we can stay focused in the word, even from the pulpit, that's going to help us as preachers do a better job relaying the message that God wants us to to his people. And I think even just the the benefits of just reading aloud to each other, I know when we did that the first time, it was a little bit uncomfortable, I think, at least it was for me, Mm -hmm. because it's not something I've done very often. But there's a lot of value in that, just hearing, truly hearing the words of God being read aloud. There's value in that because, again, as you pointed out, we're giving ourselves the opportunity to just allow God to speak to us. And that has to be something that we're dedicated to as Christians.
1: I mean, there's benefit of, I mean, listen, it, it involves another sense that we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I do this even personally. I mean, I think there's benefit. I, I read aloud when I'm mm-hmm. studying to myself, when nobody is in the room. I'll just read aloud because it involves m- so much more of mm-hmm. me than mm-hmm. just sitting in a chair and reading in my mind. Now, I do that as well. But when, you, when, when I'm able to read it and read it out loud, I mean, it just seems to involve so much more because it's that important. And you are on the money. It doesn't matter as the preacher what Jeremy thinks. I would a preacher, biblically. Mm-hmm. Now that may be in our culture what a yeah. preacher is all about, yeah. but not what we see here, not what mm-hmm. I see in God's Word. A preacher is there to proclaim the words of God. That's it. And to, I mean, I'm leaving myself out of it in every way. Mm-hmm. It is to proclaim and to bring understanding of God's Word. And ultimately, all of that is going to lead to salvation.
0: We'll go ahead and wrap things up there. Our time is up. We want to thank everyone for taking some time with us to to study through Romans chapter 10 this morning. Hopefully it's been beneficial to you. Uh, Next week we'll be in Romans chapter 11, so please be sure to to tune in for that. Uh, We want to encourage everybody, if you're in the area and looking for a place to worship, we certainly want to invite you to come and do that with us. We meet at the corner of 82nd and Lafayette Road on the northwest side of Indianapolis. You can find all of our times of service uh, on our website at traderspointchurch.org or on Facebook as well. So thank you again for your time. We look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.